Welcome to Encounter. We want nothing more than to help you find and follow Jesus. If you're a college student in Central Illinois, head to isuencounter.org or download our student app to learn about all that's happening here. Thanks for listening. Hey, thanks for leading us, y'all. I don't know about y'all, that was a sweet time. Um, Lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes. Yeah. Hey, I'm Robbie. Uh, It's good to be here, y'all. Okay. Um, I was here in November, and uh, I got to say, I I, I did this thing where I put a picture of my family up on the screen, and then I dared some of you to say hi to my kids. Uh, Because you might see them around campus because they're over here at the lab schools, or you might see my wife in her department. And y'all took me for that bet. Like, the amount of times over the three or four weeks after that that my children came home and be like, Dad, do you know so-and-so? And And I was like, I don't. I actually don't know them at all. They're like, but they're from Encounter. I'm like, yeah. I don't know all of you, um, I, I, but I, I want to, uh, just so, so know that. But that was so fun, and my kids uh, thoroughly enjoyed that. My wife was a little weirded out by it. But other than that, it was, it was, it was really fun. And so I love being here. Uh, I'm an alum of this uh, ministry and uh, super grateful for all the things God has done uh, through this place and what he continues to do. And my wife and I are just so glad that we get to continue walk alongside this campus and this ministry. And so... Uh, thanks for letting me be here tonight. Um, speaking of family, uh, I've been, uh, had the privilege the last few weeks of really getting to, s- to spend some really fun one-on-one time with my son. So I've got a 14 and 12-year-old daughters and then a 10-year-old son. And uh, I'll, I'll be honest, when he was born, I was like, I've got this girl dad thing down. Uh, I feel like I know how to do this. And then this, this boy shows up, and I was a little rattled. I wasn't really sure if I was uh, equipped for this, and there are days where I still question that. But these last few weeks have been really fun, uh, because uh, a few years ago, uh, some friends of mine actually from, uh, that were part of this ministry with me when I was in college. Uh, we're still friends. We still do a lot of life and community together. And as we're getting older and celebrating things like 40th birthdays and uh, 20-year wedding anniversaries and things, we've uh, traveled to some fun places and we've gotten into scuba diving. Anyone in here uh, scuba dive before? It's a pretty fun experience. And so uh, now that my son is 10... Turns out he can now get certified to scuba dive also, which really kind of freaks my wife out. Uh, but he's pretty thrilled about it. And so over the last few weeks, we've been doing these online courses and uh, walking through all the lessons and the scenarios. And uh, it's been fun. I do have a photo because I think he's really uh, cute. Um, and I think y'all should probably see this. Oh, look at that. That's cool. I should go the other way. Hey, yeah, there. Okay, so the one, they, they are like... They're like uh, less than two months apart. Um, this is my son. This is my best friend's son. Uh, so Graham and Brecken, and uh, I think they're awesome. And so they're going through the courses together. And this last weekend, they're at Shirk's Pool uh, over at Illinois Wesleyan's Pool. And uh, that's my son getting ready to go in for the first time and take his first breath underwater, which he came home and he was like, Dad, it was awesome. It was so cool. And that whole rig weighs considerably more than he does, you know. Um, but uh, it's been a blast. And, and certain points through the training, uh, he's asked me, like, hey, what did you do when this happened or when you, when you went through this? Things like, what did you do the first time you saw a reef shark? 
And uh, what did you do uh, the first time you saw a moray eel kind of wiggling its way towards you, uh, you know, towards your death? Uh, what did you do uh, the first time? I, I did a, a night dive. I did, I've done spear fishing. I did a 137-foot deep dive, which was like super freaky. Um, and all of these scenarios, as we were going through and learning about certain things, he'd heard these stories, and he's like, Dad, what did you, how did you do this? And my answer to all of his questions were the same. Um, I don't know. <laughs> like, I honestly, I, I didn't have, I don't feel like in hindsight, I probably should have had better training or I should have focused more. Um, but really, all I did was, as soon as something came up that I wasn't really sure about, um, I, just, I just looked at my dive guide. <laughs> just, if he was good, I was good. If he was doing something, I was doing that. If he was swimming away, I was swimming away. If he was hanging tight, I was like, cool, we're just here. I'm just chilling here. Um, you, just, you just pull this thing and you shoot a lobster? I'll just pull this thing and I shoot a lobster. This is great. Um, I just watched what the guide uh, had to say. And what he, not to have to say, because we don't talk, because we have this in our mouth, but what he did. And, uh, and every time, that was what I needed. And, uh, and so, uh, naturally, that's my segue into what we're going to talk about tonight, is, is who do we have our eyes on when things start to get uh, a little bit rough and a little bit weird. And so, um, we're going to uh, jump into our passage of Scripture for the night. But before I do that, would you all uh, pray with me real quick? All right, Jesus, uh, would you once again reveal yourself uh, as our trustworthy God that we can fix our eyes on as you are the giver of life. Um, you're our good king. You're the one and only one um, that's worthy of our, our trust. Would you meet us here and, and reveal yourself again? Amen. All right, well, if any of you brought your Bibles or, or the type you follow along on your phone or whatever, we're in Matthew chapter 25. And uh, this passage that we're going to focus on tonight continues in our series on parables. And if you remember, uh, last week Ben started talking about parables. And all of these parables are, are these real-life contexts, examples of what, something that's going on, something that everyone kind of understood uh, that Jesus would use uh, to communicate a, a, a truth. A principle. And, uh, and, and so when we're looking at this one tonight, uh, we're looking in the, in the book of Matthew. And so Matthew uh, is one of four gospel authors uh, and one of four gospels. Uh, and so Matthew, 30 or 40 years after uh, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, after years and years, you know, a few decades of telling stories and passing on the teachings of Jesus and the, and the miracles of Jesus and, 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 the, and how to live that out, um, as they, some of the apostles were getting older in their lives, they decided to, to write down uh, their experiences. Uh, and each of them kind of took a different approach. Uh, Matthew's approach was he wanted to write specifically to uh, Jewish readers. And so his gospel uh, is, is one of the longest. Uh, I think it is the longest. And it, and it goes through a lot of stories, but it, there, there's a rhythm to it. There's a cadence because uh, Matthew is building a case uh, to those who are raised Jewish, that, that Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecies, that Jesus was uh, the Messiah, this coming king that they had been waiting for. And so this passage that we're going to lean into tonight gets into uh, chapter 24 and chapter 25. 
And it's really one sort of large teaching uh, that the disciples were walking past the Temple Mound, and, and the Temple Mound, y'all, was huge. It was enormous, these giant stones. Um, my family and I actually had the privilege to go there uh, just, just a few months ago before things got really crazy uh, over there. And, and my son, which you saw, he's, not, he's a little vertically challenged at the moment, uh, up next to these giant stones that still to this day would take multiple cranes to put in place. No one's quite sure how he pulled it off. The disciples were commenting just about how grand and how, how immense this structure was. And Jesus responds to them and says, yeah, and basically enjoy it now because <laughs> uh, things are going to change. And so as, as Jesus starts to speak a, a little bit prophetically and, he, and in typical uh, God of the universe as a human fashion, uh, he speaks at different levels using the same words. And so he's, he's talking about, uh, he's, he's looking ahead just maybe a few days even to when uh, he, he's going to be crucified and buried and raised again, which will effectively put the temple system of worship, uh, it'll completely disrupt how the temple exists and how it functions uh, for many people. Uh, also, he's forecasting uh, that uh, in, in 70 AD, in you know, 30 or 40 years from when, he was t- when they were there, uh, that Rome was going to destroy that temple and that it would become just a pile of stones, uh, that only a few foundational uh, elements would be left and would be remaining. And, and at the time, the disciples are like, what, when is all of this going to happen? Tell us, what is this going to be like? And Jesus uh, speaks a word of warning uh, over them, uh, because he knows, hey, uh, things are going to get rough uh, in in this. And so uh, let's, uh, do I go up or down with this fancy clicker thing? Let's just see what happens. Hey, yeah, there we go. Cool. Uh, down, if any of you were wondering. You, go, you click down. All right. Um, so Matthew 24, uh, the, the, the chapter right before it, Matthew 24 and 25 are, like I said, one giant teaching. We're going to spend time on one parable in Matthew 25, but it's important that you know what's happening around this. And uh, in Matthew 24, uh, this dialogue that Jesus is having about what's to come, this is a summary that one of the teachers, I, I always learn a ton from, kind of put out there. So I'm just going to walk you through this. Jesus basically says, hey, you're going to hear rumors of the end and false messiahs. Uh, don't believe them. Don't get caught up in it. Fix your eyes on me. The world is going to get crazy, and there is nothing you can do to stop it. So don't try. Fix your eyes on me. Uh, All of this is going to have to happen, uh, and you're going to have to persevere. Don't get distracted. Fix your eyes on me. Uh, You will have to be ready, and being ready means taking care of God's people. Now, that one seems a little different. Do you notice that? It's like warning, warning, warning. Jesus, if you haven't, uh, if you, if you kind of remember, his, his fa- most famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, was likely not just one teaching, but multiple teachings that he taught ro- over and over and over again. It was all about the least of these. This upside-down kingdom, uh, that the last shall be first and the first shall be last. The, uh, blessed are those who mourn, uh, so, for they will be comforted. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, Uh, When this giant structure that you all think is so impressive and that you think is just the bee's knees, why'd I say that? Um, Really, there's no better way to describe that than bee's knees right now. Um, When you guys, when you're looking at this, um, guess what? Uh, As grand as it is, its most fundamental thing, its most fundamental thing of of loving God and, and loving our neighbor uh, this, this place is struggling with 
It is on the struggle bus. And so he's saying, hey, uh, you have to be ready. Um, And being ready means taking care of God's people. Uh, Because the priests aren't taking care of God's people, uh, so you're going to have to. So that's, that's chapter 24. And so it's a, it's a heavy teaching, and it's got to have the disciples' minds kind of spinning as they're like, when is this going to happen? What exactly is this going to look like? Okay, why are you telling us this? Because what we also know is that he's, he's also speaking about himself. That the very structure, this life, this, this life with him that they have come to expect miracles and expect presence with him and expect to be alongside him, to have his voice in their life uh, physically is, going, is about to change. And they don't know that yet, but Jesus knows it's coming and he's saying, hey, be ready. Keep your eyes on me. It's going to get hard. It's a warning. It's a warning. And so then when we get into chapter 25, Um, There are three parables in chapter 25. The one we're going to spend time in tonight is the parable of the three servants. That's sort of in the middle. It's It's a parable of the servant's sandwich, okay? So there are three parables here, three different stories that Jesus... Uh, tells that, Matt, that uh, Matthew includes in this to kind of communicate one uh, big truth. Uh, in the foolish bridesmaids right before it, it's to be ready. In the parable of the three servants, it's persevere and take care of the oppressed. In the parable of the sheep and the goats, it's take care of the oppressed. Um, there's a theme here. And so uh, as we jump into this parable, if you remember, uh, like, like I was saying before, uh, when Ben talked about the, uh, the wineskins and the wine and all of that last year or last week, uh, these stories, maybe we don't get them, uh, but the first hearers of these stories did. They would have understood them. And so this, this parable, this story that we're going to read tonight is kind of like that because um, to be uh, in the first century as, uh, as a Jew uh, was a mixed bag. They've been under Roman occupation for something like six or seven decades. Roman military occupation, like think World War II, remember this? And, and the Germans, they, their military went in and occupied places like, like Sweden and parts of France. And, and so those worlds kept existing. People went to their jobs, kind of, and people had time with their families, kind of, and, and people, uh, in, you know, had relationships, and, and there was still kind of an economy, but it was always under threat, of military coming in and just seizing your house, or it was always under threat that, that some uh, uprising would come and then martial law would just shut things down and people that you knew would be there one day and they would be gone the next uh, because of the Roman uh, oppression. And so this was, this was very real. This is what the, the first hearers of this story, this is the world they're living in. They all are one degree to someone, to something that had happened, right? Just like all of us, we all have a story about the pandemic, or many stories about the pandemic, right? We all experience that, and so we've got memories to this. Uh, in this case, uh, even like uh, the, the trade towers, you know, world trade towers, for those of us who are around for that, or even as you talk to your parents about that experience, they all have a story about where they were when they first heard or someone they knew that was connected to it. That's true uh, for everyone who heard this story. Everyone has had an experience where someone had, ex- had, had gotten caught up or gotten uh, negatively impacted by the Roman occupation. And so uh, this kind of reality is, is just, it's, it's right there. 
everyone lives kind of fully alive and kind of not really at all under this oppression. And so this particular story talks about uh, someone who goes away on a long trip. And part of this occupation and part of the weird climate that they were living in in this day was um, Herod the Great. If you remember the, the Christmas story, Herod the Great was the king uh, when Jesus was born. Well, three or four years after, uh, when Jesus was three or four years old, Herod the Great died. And he left his kingdom uh, instructions that it would go to three of his sons. Um, but he wasn't really in charge. Caesar was. And so his three sons got on ships and they sailed. And they were probably gone for six, eight weeks to Rome, uh, hoping that they could go and get permission from the emperor uh, to continue to rule. And, and then, then they would hopefully come back and they would, they would rule. And uniquely, also, there was a, a Jewish contingent who went, and they went to Rome also to basically say, we don't want any of Herod's kids to be uh, the king. Uh, and so that, that's this story that everyone kind of knew because it was a really, really tense time as people weren't really sure what was about to happen. Was one of those sons going to come back and be in charge? Uh, was Rome going to just kill all of them and send someone else? Like, it was super up in the air. And so everyone had experienced that. So as we jump into this story, just, just keep all of that context in mind as we read, uh, starting in verse 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. So again, think of what I just shared. Instantly, certain people in the crowd are starting to think, okay, other uh, versions of this story in other gospels literally say a rich young ruler uh, goes off um, or uh, someone of royal uh, family goes off on a trip. And before they do, he called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And he left on his trip. So remember, these are fictional stories that Jesus is sharing, um, but he is drawing out this experience that all of them had some context with. And so they're starting to think, okay, we get how this works, um, and we'll, we'll continue on. Verse 16, uh, the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more, but the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. All right, let's stop there. Um, some very different stories here, three different characters. One who's maybe higher up and was given more responsibility, more, more resources, uh, goes for it. And, I, and I'm guessing that the people, the first hearers of this were going, well, yeah, the sort of like lieutenant uh, to this, this son of the king who goes off. That makes sense. Everyone knows that guy is with that guy. And so he's, he's, he's in. He's already dedicated. He's already implicated. He is in. He's going to get the most resources. And then uh, further down, and then we get to sort of like, I'm going to call it middle management. Like, like he's got one bag of silver left, and he's like, I don't know, that guy. All right, you, I'm going to give you one. And, uh, and that guy is looking around and going, yeah, um, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I'm, I'm nervous. What if, what if uh, they go, and they go to the emperor, and, and and they're, they're ready to come back and rule this thing, and the emperor's like, nope. And someone else comes instead and finds everyone who was true to that person who was told nope, and all of a sudden, uh, heads start to roll. 
And he's going, I don't really want to be known for that, so I'm just going to, maybe, he's just over here burying it, waiting to see how things shake out. I'm not really sure of all of the story, uh, but it goes on. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Uh, um, Master, and notice how different uh, this person responds in this fictional story. Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops that you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. That's an interesting line, right? Up to this point in time, everyone else has been super faithful. They've taken their resources, they've multiplied them, and they're excited to be getting the reward. Uh, but this one starts and he's kind of like laying it out like, hey, you, you're, you're harsh, you're rough. Uh, you, you, you harvest grain that you didn't plant, which means you steal, right? You are cutthroat. I knew this about you, and I was, I was a little afraid of what might happen, and I didn't want to let you down, so I buried this. And here it is. Uh, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gathered or gotten some interest on it. Oh, I'm pushing a fun button now. All right. And then we'll finish up here. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Whew. It gets harsh for that one, right? Now, I'll admit, when I first, uh, many years as I've read this, um, I'm quick to apply my context and my understanding of Jesus and my understanding of church history onto stories like this. And I, and I, I'll be honest, I want to I wanna put Jesus into the role of being this rich young ruler that goes off. Um, but then when I see statements uh, like, you reap where you haven't uh, sown, and you are harsh, and people are fearful, and that he calls people wicked and lazy, and I run that up against uh, those first-time listeners and their experience with Jesus. Think about that. How does that jive for them? These are, these are people who've been walking with him, seeing miracles, seeing Jesus provide food for thousands, seeing people extend grace uh, to tax collectors and 
and, 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 and the worst of all sinners in, in some people's eyes and their hierarchy of things. They've, they, if this is towards the end of Jesus' life, they, he might have just raised Lazarus from the dead, okay? And, and they are ready to crown him king and not the king that they're used to seeing. This is more a description of what they're used to. This is more a description of what Herod, Antipas, one of Herod's sons, how he would have been characterized as reaping where he hadn't sown and harsh and kicking people out. In fact, uh, history tells us that that Jewish contingent that went to Rome to, to say, hey, don't give uh, our rule uh, of, our, of our area uh, to Herod's kids. It should be with us, the religious leaders. Guess what? When they got back, um, Herod's sons uh, slaughtered those priests and their families. And so people, when they heard this story, they're, they're, they probably knew about that. They knew what it was to cross uh, the path with someone uh, in that kind of rule. And so what do we do with this story in the midst of this bigger teaching uh, where Jesus is warning people about what's to come? I think there's an overarching principle, and I think you all got it. Uh, There's an overarching principle in each of these um, parables, and this one is, hey, um, steward what you've been given. Take care. Use what you've got. That's, that's there. Um, but there's also uh, this underlying tone uh, that Jesus is not like your average ordinary king. His kingdom is not uh, that way. And so as, as we think about um, what would the first century Christians, uh, the people who had, um, who had followed Jesus uh, and who had gone through um, the death, burial, and resurrection, you know, what do, we, what do we think they did with this type of teaching? And I think, I think most of us, we kind of know. Um, uh, recently, uh, Tim Keller was a pastor and an author who passed away, and um, he had an article that I thought was really great, because when I read a story like this, and I read it in the bigger context of all of these warnings about what we're to do when, when things get hard, what we're to do when, uh, when the end comes, Uh, and all of those warnings to keep your eyes on me, uh, to stay focused, to persevere, to take care of the least of these. Um, When I I see these things, I've got to ask myself, well, what did the the hearers of this parable do with what he taught? And in this article, um, he summarizes sort of five things that the early church was known for. The early church was a multiracial and, ex- and they experienced unity across ethnic boundaries that was startling. The book of Acts and the various epistles, we see clear examples of different races and cultures who were set apart as members of the community of the way of Jesus and as leaders within the church as it spread organically throughout the region. Y'all, the people who listened to this teaching, who experienced Jesus, as things got hard, they leaned into what he had called them to do, to take care of his sheep, and, and not just his, his sheep uh, who were Jewish, but it expanded out. And as we get into Acts and the epistles, we see, we see stories of people of different races and cultures, and it's, it's an incredible, uh, they did it. They kept their eyes on Jesus, 
in the midst of persecution, in the midst of hard things. The early church, uh, number two, was a community of forgiveness and reconciliation. Y'all, I just described some of the oppression that that, uh, the Jews were experiencing from the Romans, but y'all, it gets worse (laughs) for the church. Because not only is, is the, are the Roman Empire pushing against them, but so are many of the Jews. They were criticized, they were attacked, they were imprisoned, they were persecuted and killed. And nevertheless, Christians were known for teaching forgiveness and withholding their retaliation. That was so countercultural. They fixed their eyes on Jesus, they saw how he lived, they saw his teachings, and they persevered. Number three, the early church was famous for its hospitality to the poor and the suffering. I love this. Uh, While it was expected culturally maybe to care for the poor of one's family, that was pretty normal. Um, But to do that for, for people outside of your family, people outside of your tribe, people outside of your culture, people who looked different than you, that's who the early church was known for. Uh, they, were, they were written down as actually being promiscuous, promiscuous with their love. They fixed their eyes on Jesus. They, they persevered. And, and in fact, all throughout history, uh, you guys probably remember there were plagues and there were famines and there was all sorts of just brokenness uh, that, that showed up. And oftentimes, uh, the people of Jesus... Uh, They stayed in those cities. As everyone else is running and fleeing, they stayed in those cities to take care of the sick and the dying, often at the cost of their own lives. Y'all, they kept their eyes on Jesus. They persevered. Number four, it was a community committed to the sanctity of life. Now, sanctity of life might have some baggage, uh, that term in our culture, but um, we're not talking as much about abortion. That wasn't really uh, the practice of the day. Instead, uh, if there was a child who wasn't wanted because they couldn't afford to take care of them, it wasn't the, the right gender, it had a disability, whatever the reason was that people didn't want a child, they, uh, they would just put it outside of the city gates, out on the dump, and they would just leave it there to die of exposure. And, and the people of Jesus... They regularly were found going out there every day looking for children who had been left to die and scooping them up, providing them sustenance, bringing them into their homes and adopting them and making them part of their families regardless of what was going on. Y'all, the people of Jesus kept their eyes on him. They used their everyday ordinary means to take care of the least of these, of the oppressed. And the fifth one, uh, they were a sexual counterculture. The people of Jesus, uh, in this first century and and on time, the ancient world was a rough, rough place and uh, full of double standards. Uh, Women were expected uh, to stay true and to to only have sexual relations with their spouse, but men uh, were to be free to do whatever they liked, to follow their... uh, impulses. And in fact, um, there was this sort of pecking order that slaves and prostitutes and children were regularly just fair game uh, for sexual exploitation. And it was almost regarded as unavoidable in that time. And yet the people of Jesus, who had heard this teaching, who had been warned about uh, the brokenness and the harshness and the persecution and the hard things that were to come. Uh, They were known for different sexual norms. 
the church prohibited any sex outside of marriage. It saw sex not just as an appetite, but rather as a way to give oneself wholly to another, and in so doing, imitate the connection of God who gave himself in Christ. It also was more egalitarian, which is a really big word to say, uh, level playing field, treating all people as equal and rejecting the double standards of both gender and race and as well as social status. Furthermore, Christianity saw sexual self-control as an exercise of freedom. (laughs) Just slapping in the face. Uh, The counterculture. It was a testimony that we're not mere pawns of our desires or fate but that we have a purpose. So I share all of that, and I think, okay, I see what the first hearers of these these stories, um, I see what they did with them. And then I I look at us, and I I go, okay, Lord, what, what, what are you calling us to? What are you inviting us into? And I think the call to them is the same call to us, um, to fix our eyes on Jesus, to give of our everyday, ordinary lives in such a way that that we we use whatever it is that we've been given um, for the good of others and for the glory of God. Um, As our uh, musicians come up to this stage, if you don't mind, I'd like to lead us in a little bit of a reflection because I think, I think Jesus might want to, uh, well, I don't think, I know. Uh, Jesus does want to speak to each and every one of us. So if you've got your Bibles out, you can go ahead and put them away and uh, we, can, we can even lower the lights. Um, because here's what I know, uh, that I know that God wants to speak. I know that he wants to speak to each of us. And when I read this passage of Scripture, when I read this, this story, this parable, um, I know that Jesus believed in us. He believed in the, in the hearers at that time, and he believed that someday there would be a room full of people over 2,000 years later who would be reading this same story and that he would be wanting to communicate to us, don't give up. Don't get distracted. Don't give in to the ways that the world continues to invite you in. Look at me. Trust me. There's a better way. Persevere. So, uh, I've got some questions that I'm going to put up here on the screen. And and what I want you to do um, is these are questions that I want you to ask of the Lord, believing that he has a response. And I, and I bet for some of you, hearing the voice of God feels like, how do I, what do I, what does that look like? Um, I, I believe that in a room like this where two or more are gathered, that he's here with us and that he can and does speak. And so as we look at these questions, I just simply want you to, in your head and in your heart, I want you to just hold these questions and I want you to, to ask it. And then as, as certain thoughts come to your brain, um, I want you to, to run that through the filter of how you've experienced Jesus, just like these first century hearers of this story would have gone, I know who Jesus is. I've experienced him. I've seen him. I know him to be good. And I know him to want to be calling me to take my life and to use it, to not go bury it, 
but to use it for the good of others, for the oppressed, and for his glory, not for our own. So, uh, here's the first question. I'm going to read it out loud. I'm going to give you some time to listen to what God has to say, and then I'll, I'll close each question in prayer, and we'll do that three times, okay? So here's, here's your first question that I want you to ask of the Lord. What is distracting me from all that you have invited me into? Jesus, I'm well aware that in this room, many of us are distracted with comparison. Comparing our lives to other people of who we think we should be or where we think we should go, what we think we should look like, who we think we should date, who we think we should be with our careers and our, our majors and internships and, and we're crippled at times, we're distracted by the expectations of others and so Lord I, I know that you are inviting us to lay that down to not be distracted to fix our eyes on you and who you say that we are Father, for me personally, I know I, I can't do this on my own. Holy Spirit, I need you to help me, to empower me, to fill me up, to speak truth to me because I'm so easily distracted by trying to keep up or try to be something that I'm not. And Father, I just want to rest in, in who I am right now, which is fully loved and known by you. Holy Spirit, would you come and, and bring truth and bring focus and would you fix our eyes on you? Amen. All right, our next question. What have I forgotten that you are inviting me to, me, me to remember? The thought that came to mind for me was uh, that scene from The Lion King. <laughs> Remember who you are! <laughs> and, right? and I just feel like Jesus is saying, hey, remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Remember that I love you right where you're at. So, so God, would you help us remember who we are? God, would you help us remember what you've already done? the way you've drawn us to you, the way you've given us these crazy gifts and talents and abilities, the way you've, you've, you've shaped our lives, the good and the bad, and you've, you are redeeming and restoring all of it. You are using all of it. God, help me remember that. Help us remember that. God, help us walk in confidence of all that you've done and all that you have yet to do. Remember who we are, God. And again, we can't do that on our own. Holy Spirit, we need you to come and move. We need you to, to wake us up every morning remembering who you are and who we are because of you. Come, Lord. Amen. And our last question how are you inviting me 
in my everyday, ordinary life. To steward my life for the good of others and for your glory. Yes, Lord. Here's, here's what I know is that some of you, a face came into your mind. Someone that you need to lean into, not knowing what's going to come of that, but you need to be obedient to that. I know some of you, a name came to mind. Someone that you need to, to be intentional with, to, to seek forgiveness with, to ask for forgiveness from. Um, some of you, a, a next step. And maybe it's a leap of faith, something that you know that in your gut you, you, he's calling you to do, but you're afraid, you're questioning whether he's going to meet you there. I believe some of you were, were reminded of that and were called to that. And, and, and Jesus is saying, trust me. So Father, with our everyday ordinary lives, we want to use the experiences that you've given. We want to use the connections and the, the relationships that we have, Lord. We want to we use the knowledge that we have gained and that we continue to learn. We want to use the, the resources and the opportunities that we've got in front of us, God, not for our benefit. But for the good of others and for your glory, would you use my everyday ordinary life? Would you use our everyday ordinary lives? And God, would you give us guts? <laughs> would you give us guts to take that step, to text that person, uh, to go to that person, to step out in faith and to, and to change that major or to pursue that internship or to, uh, to call that person that you're afraid of what they might say. Um, God, would you give us guts? Knowing that regardless of what happens with our step of obedience, uh, that you're gonna, that you love us right where we're at and you're gonna, you're gonna be there like you've always been there. Would you help us to fix our eyes on you? We can't do it on our own, but we know and believe uh, that when we do, um, so much more is possible. So we give you our lives and we fix our eyes on you. Thank you for this time with you, Lord. We really love you. Amen. Amen. Y'all, would you stand and respond?